Amen. Good evening, everyone. We bless the Lord tonight for uh, <clears throat> another chance to look into His Word. Amen. Let's uh, go into a uh, word of prayer tonight. Father God, we thank you. We magnify you. We give you the praise, glory, and the honor. Holy Father, we ask that you go with us again tonight into the study of your word. Holy Father, we, we're going to look at some uh, scriptures and contemplate some passages. Holy Father, we're going to ask that you give us the wisdom, give us the understanding to decipher them, to know what you're saying to the church, not to the world, but to the church. Holy Father, that we may apply your word to our lives and help somebody else that don't have your word, they haven't been saved. Holy Father, but in order for us to do that, we must have a good understanding ourselves. We must walk in your word, obeying your word, being doers of your word, and not deceiving our own selves. Holy Father, help us tonight. Remember your man, servant, make my tongue as a pen of ready writing. Make the word of God plain. Because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight. We're winding down our study of biblical beliefs, doctrines that believers should know. Biblical beliefs, doctrines that believers should know. We are on chapter 10, page 109. We have two more chapters to go after tonight, and then we'll be concluded. Tonight, once again, we're going to talk about angels and demons. Chapter 10, page 109. Our subject tonight is angels and demons. Uh, oftentimes, this is a title and subjects that are skirted around and not talked about or talked about too much in the church. But we need to know these things. We need to know about angels and about demons so we can rightly divide and have a good understanding of our enemy and our spiritual helpers, the angels. But before we get started into this chapter, uh, I'd like to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 reads as follows. But realize this, that in the last days, Difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied his power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sin, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the reason I pause to read those passages of scripture is because 
it's because of demons that we have the reproofs of Second Timothy three. It's because of the devil and demons that men and women act as described in Second Timothy three. And these are the last days. And this is why it's important that we know about angels and demons so we can know how to deal with the people as described in Second Timothy. Page 109. Angels adore Christmas trees, dashboards, and even commonly prayer on jewelry. They occupy a place of sentimental delight in our society. However, all of our fascination with angels, what does the scripture say? In this chapter, we will consider the doctrine of angels. This will also allow us to consider biblical teachings about demons as well. The doctrines of angels is directly and significantly related to most of the major doctrines in Christian theology. Angels are related to our views of creation and providence since they were created by God and partly administered his work in the world. They are connected to the doctrine of revelation because they frequently serve as the messengers of God. Now, angels, if you want a definition for, for, for who angels are, and we're not going to say what because they are living, so... A definition for who angels are, according to Wayne Gruden, uh, in his book called Systematic Theology. He said, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence and without physical bodies. Once again, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. Angels by the definition of they're God's messengers. They're God's messengers. They're sent to do what God needs to be done in the earth, in the heavens. They are his messengers. So while the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 does not specifically describe the creation of angels, it must have occurred sometime after the first day and sometime before the, the seventh day. Let's look at Genesis 2 and 1. They were created sometime after the first day and sometime before the seventh day. That's the best we can do about pinpointing when they were created. Genesis 2 and 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. The word host describes the heavenly angels. It just says it was completed. Some day after the first, and some day before the seventh, they were created. In page 110, they were created to worship and to serve God. They were created to worship and to serve God. The angels were created beings designed for worship praise and service to God. And we can also see that in Psalms 103. In Psalms 103, we can see how the angels 
were created to worship God and to give Him the praise and the glory. More so than us humans. I won't say more so, but they do it more than we. But we should praise and worship God just as much. Psalms 103, verse 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. See, they obey. Bless the Lord, all ye his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. See, the angels serve the Lord. Does what he says do. Magnify him. Worship him. Without a word of complaint. Even Nehemiah 9 and 6, it captures it well when it says, You are the Lord. You alone. You made heaven and the heaven of heaven with all their hosts. There's our word host again, describing all the uh, 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 heavenly angels. The earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. We should take example from the angels. Now their characteristics, what are they like? Angels are seen and unseen. Sometimes the Lord lets us see them, but most of the time we don't see them. Most of the time we don't see them. That's because they're spiritual beings or they're spirits. You can't see the spirits with the naked eye unless the Lord opens up our spiritual eyes to see them. One of the most notable encounters with angels is Gabriel's appearance to Mary to tell her that she would be the mother of the Messiah in Luke chapter 1. That was an instance where the Lord allowed you know, married to see Gabriel. Another one was in Isaiah 6. We see another portrait of the angels that reveals them to be majestic creatures. When Isaiah was able to uh, see the angels in heaven, uh, that was also an instance where they were able to see uh, the angels of heaven. Now, angels are also unseen. And they the thing about angels is angels are not they don't have all the characteristics of God they can't be in more than one place at one time they go where God tells them to go and do what God tells them to do but that's the only place they can be at one time so they're not like God where he can be uh, everywhere at the same time Hebrews 13 and 2 Hebrews 13 and 2. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. See? So angels are also unseen. So. Another question often asked about angels concerns their number. How, How many angels is it? More specifically, do individual Christians have guardian angels assigned to them? That's that's a big question. A lot of people will say, yeah, my guardian angel. But what does the scripture say about guardian angels? Scripture doesn't directly affirm this. 
But believers can take comfort in the fact that Scripture often uses expressions as a multitude of heavenly hosts. So, we can't say, according to Scripture, that everybody has uh, a guardian angel. Because the Scripture doesn't teach that. But we can say that God gives his angels charge over us to protect us and to watch over us. It's just like playing football, if you will. Angels cover zone. Or or in other words, they have an area or a group of people that God may give charge over. But they're not assigned to an individual person. So we do have the angels put protection but we don't know their exact number we know that there are many but we don't know their exact number page 111 the bible uses numerous terms to refer to to various types of angelic beings such as archangels we see that Michael in Jude chapter 9 he was an archangel and that is, it's like uh, the angels have different ranks, you know, like in the military, there's different ranks in the ranks of angels. And one rank that we do know is archangel, because Michael in Jude 9 is an archangel having authority and power given him by God. Another group of angels is the seraphim. Seraphim is plural for seraphs. So the H-I-M at the end of seraphim, that's the plural designation for worshiping angels. Seraphim are worshiping angels that worship God around his throne. They are seraphims. You can find that in Isaiah chapter 6. Now the cherubim, I-M, I am being plural for guarding angels. Cherubim guards things that the Lord, that God gives them a, a charge to protect. Guarding angels. And you can see that in one scripture in Genesis 3, verse 24. Angels are also known to be called powers. Powers. But most of the time, if you see the designation of an angelic being described as a power, most of the time this, re- this refers to demonic powers. Because, you know, uh, demonic powers, are, they're just fallen angels that have, you know, fell out the will of God, but they still have power. So they're most of the time described in the scriptures in a negative way as power. And they do have some power allowed them by by God. So those are at least four different rankings of angels. Once again, archangels, seraphim, cherubims, and powers. Though there was a time when God became flesh and he was designated a little lower than the heavenly beings in Psalms 8 and 5. 
Christ has just returned to the right hand of God, and now he stands. Look, look how Paul uh, 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 describes it. He said he stands, or the Ephesian writers, should I say, the Ephesian writers say he stands far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Ephesians one and twenty-one. See, God is not just a little bit above. He's he said he's far above. All of those powers or dominions or any angels, he is God. And he has returned to his place of power and authority. What's the ministry of the angels? Page 111. What's the ministry of the angels? Psalms 148 helps us to uh, realize verse 2 and 5. One of many Psalms, Psalms 148 is, is one that summons all of creation to worship the living God. It specifically calls the angels to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, my mother used to always, when she was alive, she used to always tell us about how times about when the Lord will open her spiritual ears and he will allow her to hear the angels singing. And she said she would hear these, the most beautiful songs, songs she has never heard before, coming from the most beautiful voices, but she could see no one. No one else was in the room. But the Lord would allow her to hear the heavenly song of the angels singing praise and worship to God. They are called ministers. That's why they're called ministry spirits sent out to serve. Hebrews 1 and 7 and verse 14. Now one big thing that I learned that the angels had a part in is they had a part in delivering the law of Moses. Let's look. Because they're, they're messengers. You know, they're messengers. So let's, in the Old Testament, Follow me on page 111, down at the bottom. In the Old Testament, they fulfill an, impo- an important role of giving the law. Deuteronomy 33 and 2. Let's turn there. Deuteronomy 33 and 2. See, I didn't know that the angels had such huge parts, but they did. Deuteronomy 33 and 2. What's it say? It says, look what it says. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Sair. He shone forth from Mount Paran and he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones, says his angel. And at his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. Look at that. 10,000 <laughs> holy ones. Of his angels. Look, wonderful. Hmm. And then, what did they do? What did these angels do when, when, when they came down on Mount Sinai? I'm glad you asked. Look at uh, Galatians 3 and 19. Galatians 3 and 19. Helps to explain what we just read in Deuteronomy. Now that's, you know, oftentimes the Old Te- the New Testament will translate 
parts of the Old Testament for us. So this is what Galatians is doing for us. Galatians 3 is translating what just happened in Deuteronomy 33 and 2. So Galatians 3 and 19 says, look, why the law then? It was added because of transgression. Having been ordained, look, having been ordained, and the, and the word ordained means to having been uh, 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 set up or having been established or having been initiated through angels by the agency of a mediator. See? <laughs> the angels were the mediator between Moses and God. And Moses was the mediator between God and man. Look at that. Once again, let's read Galatians 3.19 again. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression. Look, who ordained it? Having been ordained through angels or by angels, by the agency of a mediator. Or, or in other words, the angels were acting as the mediator between Moses and God. Huh? And Moses was acting as the mediator between God and man. Let's read on the rest of verse 19. Look. Until the seed will come to whom the promise had been made. See, Jesus Christ had not yet come yet. Jesus Christ was the seed. But until the seed came, we needed another mediator. And the angels acted in that role until the baby Jesus was born. And once Jesus was born, there is our mediator. He now sits at the right hand of God. And he now mediates between God and man. But at the time of the law, the angels did it. I did not know that after studying this. But the angels had a big part in delivering the Old Testament to us. Expressed God's favor they did. They delivered his judgment. And, and one day they will announce the return of Christ. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16. Angels also administer care. They watch over us. They, they take care of us, whether we know it or not. They take care of us. I must tell the story. I'm a, it's not my testimony to tell, I know. But uh, but, but God laid on my heart and I'm going to tell it. Once again, it was my mother's testimony. And she I, I, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Got home from school, and there was mother in the living room. She was she was like bubbling. She couldn't wait to tell us this story, and uh, she and she was like she was like, kid. She said, y'all, I just got hit. She said, I just got hit by a car, and she was like, we're looking like okay. Why are you so excited? And why are you in the hospital? You just got hit. But she was telling us how. She was walking across the street that town, Lexington, Kentucky, and this car hit her. We're not paying attention. And the car hit her, and she said that she heard the loudest, you know, crash sound, just like you would hit a car. She said she heard this loudest crash sound, just like you would hit a car. But she was still standing. And so that was nothing but an angel of God just protected her. 
come down and stood in, in, in her place and protected her from the car. That's what she told us. And she said the, the driver of the vehicle jumped out of the car, shaking his head. And like, man, were you okay? Man, were you? She said, yes, I'm fine. But that is another example of how the angels administer care to the people of God. Believe it or not, you don't have to believe it. That's okay because God's word is true all by itself. And the men and women of God that walk with God have a lot of stories and a lot of miracles to share with us that has happened in their lives. And and it's true. It's true. And we can have the same miracles, we can have the same experiences with God and his angels if we walk so with the Lord. They are also engaged in ministering to those experiencing spiritual crisis. After being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus was ministered to by angels. This suggests that God's protection and presence, though mediated by the Holy Spirit, is also part of the ministry entrusted to his special messengers. Angels are quite wonderful. They are quite wonderful Okay, now, here we go. Page 112, Satan's messengers. Hold on to your benches. This area too must be explored. We cannot adequately consider without considering the wicked encounter. Let me read that again. Page 112. We cannot adequately consider this the subject of angels without considering their wicked counterparts, demons. God has his messengers, but Satan has his as well. So let me also give you a definition described by Wayne Gruden of what demons are. Demons are fallen evil angels who sins against God who now continually work evil in the world. Once again, demons are fallen evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. We're standing over studying the most dangerous scriptures of the Bible when we talk about demons and devils. Because here, we're opening up an area of understanding about our enemy that he doesn't want us to know. And the more you know about him and his methods and his Kings and his wild and his tactics, the more of a threat you are to him and the more of a target you become to him. Huh? Now, we don't teach these things or tell you these things to scare you away so you be scared of every stuff that goes on in the night. But God said we must be aware of his tactics and his wild. We must must not be ignorant of his ways, huh? 
We're given no opportunity to him to deceive us. Hmm? We'll take us right on the way. Dr. Brian McGee said it like this. He said, the spiritual battle is fought wherever a man or woman is giving out the word of God. This is the place the devil wants to destroy. And that is the place of spiritual battle. The devil comes to church every Sunday. He sits in to listen to every single Bible class. Oh, yes, he does. Hmm. He's more punctual than a lot of times that you and me are. He's there. That's why the scripture says, let the tares grow with the wheat. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. Jesus said, make no mistake that we know the enemy that sowed the tares among the wheat is none other than the devil. So, let's get into it. Page 112. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall when we talk about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other one is to believe and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. And that's where you come in to where people bring witchcraft into the church. People uh, come to worship, uh, Satan worship and devil worship. That's where they become and have a perverse, excessive interest in the things of the occult and we don't want to go there that's not where we're going tonight at all we just want the saints of God to know the enemy that we are up against because we're fighting a spiritual warfare we don't fight against flesh and blood scripture lets us know that so only three angels are named specifically in the scriptures Michael Gabriel and Lucifer the first two are angels who serve God Daniel 8 and 16 however the latter one is the most discussed in the Bible out of Daniel I mean out of Michael and Gabriel Lucifer he's discussed the most in the Bible and that's by, not by mistake or not by error, but the Lord did that so we can be aware and to know who is coming down to us. The ruler of the demons. He has many names. He has many names. Hmm? Lucifer is called the gay star. Let's, let's turn to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, we get a good picture of, uh, of who he is and what happened. Isaiah 14, let's start at verse 12. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, remember, remember Isaiah is the prince of the prophets. He, he's prophesying of what he's seeing that is going to come to pass or that is going to happen. Stay with me. 
Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Once again, remember, key word, he is prophesying. He said, how have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Hey, that right there was what brought him down. When he said that, look, verse 14, I will ascend to the heights of the cup. I will make myself like the most high. Nobody is ever going to be like the most high. There's only one most high God. And his name is Yahweh. His name is Jehovah. There is none like him in all the earth. Hey. Verse 15 says, Nevertheless, you will be, look, you will be thrust down to shield to the recesses of the pit. Wow. Let's, let's see how Ezekiel describes it. Ezekiel 28 and 14 through 16. Now, so let's see how Ezekiel describes it. Like the fall of Saint Ezekiel 28, 14 through 16. He said, and, and we notice we just read in Isaiah. You know how how Satan said, uh, "I will, I will." I keyword I. What's the middle letter in in the word pride? I. Pride will bring us so low. That's what his main problem was. He had so much pride in himself, and I, 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 me, and my. What is going on in the world today? Because Satan is the ruler of the earth. What do you see in the world today? So much of I, me, self-centeredness, uh, self-control. Didn't we just read Second uh, Timothy 3 and it described the Sabbath times men will be lovers of themselves? Why? Because he is ruling the earth and he's controlling men and women to be so focus on I, me, my selfishness, self-gratification. How can I please the flesh? Now Ezekiel says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. Notice, past tense, you were. And I trace you there, and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until your righteousness until unrighteousness was found in you see that by the abundance of your trade you were internally filled with violence look at that and you sinned therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. See, pride will bring you low. 
See, the enemy has nowhere to take us but the but the hell with him when he goes. See, he has nothing good for the people of God. He has nothing good in store for himself. Second Corinthians lets us know he's as an angel of light. See, he's a great pretender. He's a great pretender. Put on a false face, smile in your face, stab you in the back. He's a great pretender. He will fool you. Smile, she's so pretty, just here, pretty smile. Don't know who's behind that pretty smile. Oh, he's so handsome, he just don't know who's behind those muscles and the biceps. The enemy has to trap you. He's the great pretender. He's a deceiver. Beware. Yet the biblical message unfolds and shows this to be an angel who once occupied a privileged place among the heavenly hosts, but rebelled along with other angels. He was cast out. I want you to see that. I'm going to take time with that. Look at that. Look at page 112. See what it reads at the bottom where it says ruler of the demons. They says he was cast out from the sight of God. Well, I'm not trying to figure out how to say this without. Okay. The Satan is not yet. Well, he's, well, I'm going to say this and I'm going to leave that alone because I don't want to go too deep in that. He's not yet in hell. He's not yet in the pit. He will be. Huh? He's not there yet. Remember, remember, say with me, remember when, when Isaiah was prophesied? I saw Lucifer fall? That's a prophecy. Huh? And in Revelations, you know how Revelation tells us that hell will be cast into the lake of fire? The whole book of Revelation is all prophetic. It's all things that's going to happen in the future. Huh? You agree with me on that? Revelation? Okay. And also in Revelation it says there was a war in heaven. Huh? And Michael, the archangel, grabbed the dragon and cast him up in the pit. Huh? That has not yet happened, thanks. It's going to happen in the future. That's why Jesus said in Luke 10 and 18. Look, he said, I saw Satan fall. Okay. Huh? Jesus was prophesying about what is going to happen in the future. I know, I know, I know, I know. 
study the tape, I was like, wait a minute. But believe me, Scripture backs it up. When the Scripture speaks about Satan and hell and falling from heaven and cast out, it's all in the future. It's prophetic. It's in Revelation. Not yet happened yet, saints. But it's going to. So Satan is still roaming around to and fro, looking and seeing who he may devour. Okay, I'm going to show you two scriptures and then we're going to get that on. We're going to move along. See, Satan still, Satan has had access to the presence of God in the Old Testament. Huh? Look, look at Job 1 and 6. Look at Job 1 and 6. Job 1 and 6. Showing how Satan had access to the presence of God. Job 1 and 6 has this. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. And Satan also came along with it, came among them. Look at that. See that? Hmm? And Robert Reaper said, he said, where you been, Satan? From where did you come? The old Slewford said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around in it. See? Roaming about on the earth and walking around in it. How can he be roaming about on the earth, walking around in it, if he's already, if he's already in hell? He is not yet their saints. That's why he's trying to get as many of us to go with him when it is time for him to come. That's Old Testament access to the presence of God. Now let me show you New Testament access to the presence of God that Satan still has. Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 20 and verse 31. Luke 22 and verse 31. 31 to 32. This shows the New Testament access that Satan has. Look what it says. Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission, see, to sift you like wheat. Huh? How, how, how is he going to demand permission? Once again, he's back in the presence of God asking for permission. And this is the New Testament. He still has access to God's sake. That's why when when people say, oh, I've got the devil under my feet. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Only authority we have over the enemy is through the name of Jesus. And we better use it correctly. Hey, what, the, what happened to the sons of Sceva? When they try to act like they had the power of the Holy Ghost and they did. Them demons, the demons beat them out of their clothes. He said, he said, Paul, I know, Peter, I know, well, who are you? Boom, they jumped on them boys and they ran out of that naked. What am I saying, folks? I'm saying that demonic powers is nothing to play with. At the same time, it's not for us to be scared where we are. Staying within the confines of the scripture. You know how you hear some 
the religious folks say. I was telling the devil and I was talking to the devil and the devil came, hey, you better mess along. You have no authority to speak to the devil. The Bible said that, that, that when the enemy came against uh, 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 Gabriel, Gabriel said, the Lord rebuked you. See, even Gabriel then, excuse me, Gabriel didn't use his own authority. Gabriel said, the Lord rebuked you. And that's what we ought to say. In the power and in the name of Jesus Christ, when dealing or coming in opposition with the enemy. Okay? All right. I think I beat that one to death. Okay. Page 113. No, no, no. We're not going to... We just finished up page 112. We, I still got 15 minutes. Let's finish, finish up page 112 at the bottom. He's also known as Satan or the devil, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 and 2. He's the prince of demons, Matthew 12 and 24. And he's the father of every liar, John 8 and 44. And there's plenty other deplorable titles in the scriptures describing this no good deceiver. Hmm? One error Christian makes is to think because Christ's resurrection still sentenced to feet, he is no threat. That's a mistake. Indeed, many fallen angels have been bound until the final judgment, yet many are active in the world seeking to draw from mankind their own set of converts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So we must stay in the will of God. Stay under the blood of Jesus. Stay within the confines of the word of God. That's why we studied last week. We learned that the church has no power outside of the word of God. No power outside of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and the word of God works together. So as long as you stay there... You're safe. Once you start going around, messing around with this other stuff and dabbing over here and dabbing over there, hey, you're like a sheep out there open prey to the wolves. What did Paul tell him? Hey, if you stay in the boat, you ain't going to die. So let's stay in the boat of God's word. Let's stay in confines of the scriptures. And don't be going off and seeing things and hearing stuff of well something told me who told you what spirit told you the bible said try the spirits and see if they are of god many spirits have gone out in the world hmm? page 113 we're almost done the ministry of demons is temptation and deception they have a ministry too just like we have a ministry for reconciliation. They have a ministry of being temptation and deception. Huh? The prime, our primary opposition are spiritual forces at work in the world. The enemy will not go quietly into the night as the gospel of Christ spreads and changes hearts 
and spiritual allegiance. Mm-mm, they're not going to do it. But at the same time, they are at the, they have to have the permission of God. They have to be allowed to afflict the believers. Just like we saw with Peter. Remember? He desires to sit this week. He had to get permission from God. With an eye toward causing us, they're trying to cause us to forsake the Savior. That's what, that's what they want to try to get the saints to do, to forsake the Savior. Mm-hmm. But let me give you four tips to help you know your enemy better. To help you to know the ones that he sends towards you. For you will know the ones that has his spirit and not the spirit of God. Number one, and, and, and I get these from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. And this is where I get it from. That's my scriptural source. Know your enemy, number one. Know who he is. Hmm? Ephesians 2 and 2. He says, in which you, were form- you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. See? Know who he is. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 said, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Number two, know that he uses mind games. You know the scripture that says, uh, 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 you know, we, we have to know the wiles of the devil. You know what the word wiles means? In verse 11, it says the wiles of the, of the devil. That word wiles means his schemes, his methodia. Methodia, we get the word method from the word methodia. Or in other words, his attacks. He says, know them. Huh? Know his schemes. Just, hey, if you're in the military, a good general studies their enemy. They study them. They, 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 they understand what type of weaponry they have. Do they have nuclear weapons? Do they have biological weapons? Uh, do they have tanks? Do they have a navy? They study their enemy. That's why he said we ought to know the world of the wild enemy. Second hmm? Corinthians. 10 and 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds or fortresses, casting down imagination. See, that's all in your mind. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity or subjection. Every thought, see your mind, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Number three, he uses false doctrine. He uses false doctrine. First Timothy 4, 1, 1 through 2. He said, in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. See? How can you know what the doctrine of the devils are if you don't study the scriptures? If you just believe everything the preacher says, shake the preacher's hand, do the best you can. Hey! You got to study the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you while studying. So you know the truth because some of the doctrine of the devil is, is, is pretty close to the truth. But only the well-tuned ears, spiritually tuned, we'll be able to hear mm, something that just ain't right to We'll be able to hear what they're not saying. Huh? And the last, he is deceptive. He, he is a deceptive counterfeit. That means he's cunning, hmm? holding the form of godliness, although they have denied his power. Huh? In other words, they have not accepted the power of God. Huh? It's one thing to know the truth. But if you don't accept the power and let the power change you, you're just been a deceptive hypocrite. You've just been a deceptive counterfeit. God help us. I know I said that was the last one, but this is the last one here. Huh? He is relentless. Your enemy is relentless. He will not stop trying to come after you. Huh? That's why the, the truth lets us know. When the devil has ended all his temptations, he departed from Jesus for a season. Luke 4 and 13. Huh? He just, he departed for a season. But he'll be back. To try to tempt you. To try to get you when you're weak. Like he did Jesus when Jesus was hungry, was thirsty. Here he comes. He departs for a season. John, John R. Stott said, Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are an easy prey for the devil. And the Christians who shake like reeds and rushes cannot resist the wind when the principalities and powers begin to blow. Oh, they'll blow. Will you be able to stand? And you can stand the power of the Holy Spirit. But you can't stand with one foot on that either side of the fence. You must be planted. <sighs> yes, they do have unique strength, but they are limited. They are neither all-powerful nor are they omnipotent. They have their limits. And, 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 and I'm not going to go in, into all of Ephesians 6 through 13. But if you want to know what your arsenal is and what your power source is to resist and to fight the enemy, there you have it in Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. That's your arsenal. That's your source to resist him. And I'll end with this story. When I first joined the military, uh, 
and we were still going through school. We were still studying, you know, uh, our occupation and our MOSs, but at the same time, we still had to be prepared if we needed to go to war. So what they did was set up drills. So they trained us that when you hear the sound react, 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 you get to the armory as fast as you can and you get your weapon. And no matter if you're in the, the cafeteria in the mess hall eating or if you're in the classroom or if you're in the bathroom, if you hear react, 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 you drop what you were doing and you got to the armory and you suit it up on your, your uh, Kevlar and, 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 your, and your gear and you went to the armory and got your rifle. And they would do that to us several times through the couple of months that we was there. And, and, and thank God that each time they did it, was just rehearsal. Nothing that nothing really really happened. But they needed to do that so we would be prepared if something truly did happen. And thank you God, as we saw in Second Timothy three, well even in the last days and these are savage times. And these are the times which we must spiritually react, react, react. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you. And we trust, Holy Father, that we're going to leave tonight being more prepared. Lord, we ask that you build us up where we're broken down. Make us strong where we're weak. In Jesus' name. So we can do what you called us to do so we can hear clearly, see clearly, feel clearly the spirit and the move of God. In every which way your spirit blows and your spirit leads us. Give us this sermon that we know who's speaking to us. Huh? So we won't be led astray by every wind and doctrine of the devil. Give us a sound mind. So we can understand and know with clarity and speak with confidence. God said, no, God said not. And we'll stand flat-footed in the word of God, never to be brought down, never to be defeated, never to be overcome. Just we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.